I think we'll get started here. Uh, as people are sort of shuffling in, we'll just sort of get started to try to stay on time. Uh, so this is the Stages of Life uh, class. Uh, Christians, or sorry, Christians in the Workplace, uh, Lesson 12, Stages of Life. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let me pray, and we can get started here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to take time now to thank you. Um, uh, thank you that we can approach you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, thank you for another Lord's Day where we can gather together to worship you. Uh, Father, we just ask that you would help us now, even as we consider uh, different stages of life, even in this Christians uh, in the Workplace class. So, Father, I just pray that this could be beneficial and fruitful for our thinking and even practically for our lives, that we could honor you and glorify you uh, no matter our stage of life. Uh, so help us now, we pray, by your Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, stages of life. Stages of life. So we've been through quite a few classes now in this uh, Christians in the Workplace. So this morning we're going to be exploring the different stages of life um, that all of us really will go through. And many of us here, I mean, just looking, looking out here. Thanks, Venge. All right, there's, there's uh, bulletins coming around. Hopefully soon. Um... Yeah, just looking out here, the folks uh, uh, seated in the pews right now, many of you are in these various stages right now, perhaps. So which stages am I talking about? Well, there's these different stages that we're going to consider uh, this morning. There's three of them. That is being a student, being unemployed, and being retired. Being a student, being unemployed, and being retired. Now, the lingo that we've been using in this class is your calling, right? Your calling, your vocation. We've looked at this concept of your primary calling, that is being called uh, to be a Christian, to be saved, right? And then your secondary callings, which are not only your job where, where you're making money, but it could, it, it's, it's really anything that you're doing, right? Being, being a housewife, um, whatever it may be. That is a calling. Now, uh, the lingo that we're going to use this morning for these three callings that we're going to be dialing in on, that is student, unemployed, or retired, uh, the, the term I'm going to use is exceptional callings. Exceptional callings. Now, we're not going to be calling them exceptional because um, they're, they're exceptional by any means, but rather, traditionally, we don't, probably think of those things as callings. We don't think of being a student, unemployed, or retired as a calling, perhaps. That's why we're going to use the term exceptional callings. So there, that's where we're headed this morning. So again, just to, just to review just a little bit uh, where we've come in this class, what exactly is a calling, and why do our callings matter? 
And then after we've sort of established that again, we're going to dial in uh, to these ex so-called exceptional callings. So my prayer for us all as we do this is that we'll come to understand that God calls us to work as good and faithful servants for his glory and for the good of others in every aspect of our lives, in every aspect of our lives, not merely paid employment. So first question then, um, I think bulletins are coming around by Mr. Fontanelia. Thanks, Michael. So as you get the bulletin, you're going to see a point two. Are these really callings? Are these so-called exceptional callings really callings? So you may be thinking, I, I get it, but some of these exceptional callings seem negative. Do, doesn't it rather seem that some of those callings um, are an absence of a calling. So isn't it more accurate to say that I'm not called to employment at this time, if you're unemployed, rather than to say I'm called to unemployment? I think that's usually the way we'd think about it. Or how about being a student or being retired? In our uh, work-centered culture, we view studies as the ramp up to a successful career. Very often we, we view retirement as sort of the ramp down into the so-called um, golden years of life after a successful career. That's how our work-centered culture views these things. Well, going back uh, to earlier in the class, this is actually a bad distortion of the biblical concept of work. It says that our lives, uh, our lives and value are defined by and centered on our paid employment. And they are not. This is one of the major mistakes that our culture does. It attaches your, your personal value or worth to your perceived usefulness in the workforce. That's a, that's a dangerous connection to make. It's a da dangerous claim to make. So if we believe that, what, what the society is telling us, your life and value, if your life and value um, is defined by your paid employment, well, this last exceptional calling, that is retirement, is going to come as a nasty blow to you in life. So we want to be prepared to be able to retire well, we could say. Not necessarily the way the world considers re retiring well, but where is your value? And is that a calling? Is retirement a calling? And these other ones. So before we get into any of these, let's just remember them by way of review how the Bible thinks about our calling. So again, our primary calling is calling, Christ calling us to himself. That is, as Christians... Our primary calling is by Christ, to Christ, that we might do good work for Christ. That's our primary calling because it happened first and because it supersedes every other calling in our lives. All right, our, again, our secondary callings, on the other hand, are those things that Christ has called us to do. And again, as we've discussed earlier in the class, the wonderful 
thing is the knowledge that Christ is the one who calls us to do these things, whatever it may be. So no matter who your boss is, you're ultimately working for Jesus, no matter what position you find yourself in life, in, in, in your life. So you're working for the king, King Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Therefore, every circumstance in your life is within the realm of his calling for you. It's a beautiful thing to consider. So he might call you to work then. He might call you to be sick for a time, believe it or not. He'll call you to go on vacation, to lose your job, whatever it may be. If we, if we um, trust and believe what the scriptures say, about not only the sovereignty of God, but his providential working in our lives. Whatever you're doing, if you're, if you're seeking to um, walk in obedience, right, that is the Lord's calling for you. So we can work for him then in all situations, whether or not our society considers our situation as work. So the, the, the argument that I'm going to be making throughout this lesson then is these so-called exceptional callings, right? Student, unemployed, retirement. They are in fact legitimate callings and have no less purpose or ambition in them than any other work you do in life. So before we get on to these specific callings, then let's just review again some basic principles, just really quickly. Point one that we've been looking at in this class. I'm trying to see. You got these principles on your handout. Point one, the purpose of your work is to glorify God. So you've got that classic passage there, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Just think about how all-encompassing this verse is. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Some of you guys are drinking coffee right now. You can drink coffee to the glory of God. <laughs> right? That, that, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31 is all-encompassing. Point two, it follows then that all work can bring glory to God, not just so-called spiritual work. Remember, that was the Roman Catholic distortion we looked at many classes ago now. And not just employment, not just paid employment. At point three, our work matters to the extent that it reveals who God is. So from the perspective of heaven, we're measured not according to how many widgets we make or how many widgets we sell, but according to our faithfulness in whatever realm the Lord has called us to. Point four, again, God is in control of your circumstances. God is in control of your circumstances. Nothing happen that happens to you is an accident to him. And of course, the challenge with this is when, when things uh, happen to us that we don't like, we're tempted to think that that actually is some type of accident. Uh, that, you know, we sort of slip through the cracks of the Lord's purposes for us. Well, it's, it's simply not true. 
No situation is beyond his control or purposes. So putting all these together, then we can see that in every situation in your life is God's sovereignly orchestrated opportunity for you to show off who he is. And so in every situation in your life, he calls you to be faithful. He calls you to pursue his purposes. Okay, so we're going to get into some of these so-called exceptional callings now. Called to be a student. We've got a few students here. Hunter, trying to look around here. Other, probably other folks in post-secondary. Um, we're going to be more zeroing in on you folks here. So what's your goal for being a student? Most responsible adults would say, what? I'm just going to throw it out there. Why do you go to school for 12 years? And maybe more. To get a job. <laughs> to get a job. So you stay in school, get good grades, so you can get a good job. Right? That's where you get sort of hammered in your head for 12 years. That's the modern purpose of education. Preparation for a productive, well-paying job. Right? So that sounds positive and really helpful, perhaps. Personally, I, I, I got tired of that when I was in school, <laughs> of hearing that. Um, so the problem with describing the function of education as preparing for a job is this. Again, it's a perfect example of what we talked about earlier many, many weeks ago of the Protestant distortion of the concept of work. So eventually, I mean, we're talking a few hundred years after the Reformation, because the Reformers actually really rediscovered what we could call a Christian doctrinal vocation. But then that became distorted. It became distorted like this. Os Guinness described that distortion this way. He said, quote, Eventually the day came when faith and calling were separated completely. The original demand that each Christian should have a calling that's good, was boiled down to the demand that each citizen should have a job. That's the Protestant distortion. We looked at how uh, that concept actually led to the idolatry of work. So what's a biblical view of education then if it's not merely getting prepared to get a good job? Well, the same principles that govern all of our secondary callings come into play for the calling of education. In other words, through our education, we work to glorify God and to serve our neighbors. So how does a student glorify God then? How does a student glorify God? You got three points there. You can see in your handout, work hard as for the Lord. Work hard as for the Lord. If Christ has called you to be a student, study and learn with all your heart. Because ultimately you're working for him. So as you work hard for the Lord, you're showing off how worthy he is of your hard work and devotion. That's what you're doing there. Second, develop your mind. By developing your mind, 
you glorify God in your studies. So education isn't then simply about teaching you a specific skill. It's about the development of your mind. Because, of course, God gave you your mind, right? We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. So God gave you a mind to use for him, for his purposes. So one of the passages we've looked at uh, throughout this class, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, just consider this. Being a good steward glorifies God because it shows off that God is good to keep his promises and that God rewards those who seek him. So just consider this then, and think about the development of your mind. There is a way to develop your mind in a self-serving way, right? But you can also do so as a good steward. And when you do that with the aim of serving Christ better, you glorify his value and his worth, even with your mind. So develop your mind. Third, develop your skill. Develop your skill. So again, not a self-glorifying development of skill, but developing skill, again, with the aim of glorifying God. So keep in mind then, students, that the skills you learn in school aren't limited merely to their usefulness in the workplace. Some of those skills will help you, even as you're potentially teaching Sunday school, help you be a better friend, parent, neighbor, disciple, right? So it's not merely just preparing for paid employment. So let's just uh, flesh out some of the implications here then. Again, you got those in your handout. First of all, aim for Christ's commendation, not your teacher's. So what if instead of studying hard to get an A or be at the top of the class or to compete, what if you devoted yourself to doing every single assignment with your utmost effort as though working for the Lord? What if you had a perspective that schoolwork done with excellence greatly pleases the Lord because you're exercising the talents that he has given you? What if you had the idea that work done sloppily or incompletely, this is what I needed to hear when I was in high school. I'm sure I did, but I probably ignored it sadly. What if you had the idea that work done sloppily or incompletely or incorrectly was a neglect of talents and limited the future opportunities you might have to glorify God and serve your neighbors? Now, I would say, uh, uh, thankfully, the Lord can, can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Amen? <laughs> right? Um, and I think some of us here are, are a, a testimony to that, to the Lord's grace in that. But if you're a student right now, um, apply yourself to be aiming at this now. Um, second implication remember that Christ owns your time he owns your time he's Lord 
of your time. So let his purposes for your education take center stage in what you do. So there's an interesting sort of contrast here then. For some of us, this will mean more focus. More focus. If you're, if you're just, you know, floating through, I mean, again, I, I think that's sort of what I did in high school. You know, you sort of do the bare minimum, right? You do the bare minimum just to sort of float through and get it done, right? Well, if you're tempted to be like that, you need to recognize, again, that the Lord, he is the Lord of your time. He's the Lord of your time. And you need to use your intellect, your mind, your skills to apply yourself to your studies. Now, for some students, this will mean less focus. This is what I mean by the contrast. If you're that super-duper, maybe overachiever, right, giving 120%, and school sort of becomes this all-consuming thing because you absolutely have to get the A every time, well, maybe you need to dial back a little bit and recognize that there are other things in your life other than school, right? There are other things in your life other than school. So again, like anything else, it's possible to be idolatrous about this, right? So if, if you're more sort of wired that way, you need to recognize that the Lord has called you to other things than just being a student. So he's called you to be a friend, an evangelist, a church member, and perhaps other things as well. I mean, maybe even one of the challenges, obviously, of being a student often is you're, you're trying to work at the same time, right? Perhaps, if it's post-secondary. So for those of us who are guilty of too much focus, Titus' exhortation from Titus 3.1 is a good reminder. This, has been, this is a key verse for today. There's a section in there of Titus 3.1 that says, Be ready for every good work, even in things other than school. All right, we've got a third implication. See your education as preparation for all your callings, not just your job. Not just your jobs. So we mentioned this before. So you got the teaching degree, right? You're going, to, you're going to university right now to get the ed degree. Well, again, your studies are not merely preparing you to be a teacher. That, f- that formative time in your life is preparing you to use your skills and abilities in every um, aspect of life, in your family, in your friendships, in the church. And some of this has to do with what you choose to study as well, not thinking merely about your future job. All right, so students, work in your studies as unto the Lord, not just your parents or teachers, or for, for some far-off goal to get the super-duper high-paying job. Again, not, not, that isn't necessarily wrong, right? But that's not, the, that's not everything. Parents take the time to teach your children the real reason that they're in school and the real reason that they will most likely have a job and many other callings. 
to glorify God and to serve their neighbors. All right, we're going to switch to being called to retirement. Being called to the retirement. Is this, is this a legitimate calling? Like I mentioned earlier, if education is often viewed in our culture as an on-ramp to a good, successful career, retirement is seen as sort of that off-ramp where you can just sort of coast into those so-called golden years and just sort of live the rest of your years out on some beach somewhere. Right? So this is the question then. Does your calling as a Christian just sort of evaporate at retirement? Got a quote here from Thomas Jefferson. This is the way Thomas Jefferson, one of the forefathers, uh, founding fathers of the United States, put it. Quote, The highest good with me now is truly Epicurean, ease of body and tranquility of mind, and to these I wish to consign my, my remaining days. That was the way Jefferson thought of it. Now the problem with this is again, your callings do not cease to exist at 65 or whenever you're able to retire. In other words, our responsibility uh, for faithfulness doesn't evaporate into a decade or more of self-absorption. So let's say then uh, that you've worked hard and well, you've set aside enough money that you don't need to work nine to five for your day-to-day needs, Well, guess what? At this point now, you are like the single person, perhaps, in 1 Corinthians 7, who has more time and energy to devote to pleasing God and serving others. Keep in mind how the Apostle Paul thought about the closing years of his life. This is from Philippians chapter 1. He said, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Philippians 1, 13 to 15. So the Apostle Paul saw his time on earth in terms of faithful service. In other words, he lived for others. That would be a key theme of Philippians 2 based on what we see of Christ in in, earth. It's a key theme for the whole letter to the Philippians. We see that so clearly in that beautiful passage in Philippians 2 of the humbled and exalted Christ. So what are some of the unique resources that we have in retirement then? You got them there on your handout. First of all, flexibility. Flexibility. Your schedules will generally be less cluttered in retirement. Now for some, and this, this needs to be said, this could be for health reasons, right? Or for various other reasons. It doesn't mean you've got to be, you know, the super-duper um, faithful servant who has no time to rest or relax, right? That's not what we're saying here. But either way, we need to recognize that being faithful as God's stewards um, yeah, the flip side is 
being faithfulness doesn't look like in retirement having your calendar just totally packed, right? Maybe as Christians, some of us could be tempted towards that. So in regards to flexibility, then, there's great value in being the one who's often um, available then for unplanned opportunities, right? If your schedule is so packed, even in retirement, that there is no flexibility there, well, maybe um, a person would have to look at that. So there could be opportunities to serve your children, your neighbors, your church, right? Many more things like that. Uh, second point there, wisdom. Um, when Proverbs says that gray hair is a crown of glory, Proverbs 16.31, what does the, the writer of the proverb have in mind there? Well, certainly, at least in part, he's speaking of the wisdom that comes with experience. The wisdom that comes with life experience. Wisdom God has given you to share I've had conversations with older folks in the past where they think they don't have anything to share, and that's simply not true. It's simply not true. There's life experience there and wisdom that Lord willing a person has to share. I mean, obviously the flip side of that is, sadly, there are older folks who maybe don't have stuff to share, right? But you want to be, um, by God's grace, aiming as you, as you grow older, to have that wisdom to share. I think this could almost be a sort of a bullet point under wisdom, Bible knowledge. This goes hand in hand with wisdom. So there's a different kind of knowledge that you're going to have of the scriptures when you have been through many trials in life and you've applied the scriptures to them, and you've seen God's faithfulness, right? Your life is proving God's faithfulness to the younger generation. And some of you will have this Bible knowledge to share. Even, you know, key verses that will just come to mind. You'll be able to share with others. Fourth there, you can see perspective. So Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes that we're better spending time in the house of mourning than in the house of feasting. Why? Well, watching life draw to a close helps you to keep an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. The things that once perhaps very much appealed to you about this world, uh, not so much anymore, right? So folks in, in a retirement, in the calling of retirement, are probably going to have a better perspective, I would argue, you should as a Christian, than the younger Christian, perhaps. A more eternal perspective. Uh, fifth, money. So for some, retirement will actually be a time of financial uncertainty, right? Depending on various circumstances. A time that you will continue to look to the Lord and he will carry you through even financially. For others, though, there will be the realization that you actually have enough and more to retire. So then there's going to be opportunity for generosity. Opportunity even for financial generosity. 
So again, the danger here could again be to equate work with, or sorry, worth with productivity. It's a, it's a very utilitarian understanding of man that our society um, teaches. So we feel worthwhile when we're able to help others, but when our energy or health fade away, our worth seems to go with it. Well, perhaps one of the greatest opportunities of retirement is, is in its ability to once and for all disabuse us of this notion. Now, this is, I would say this is a particularly important point in our day that increasingly does not respect those, the, the elderly amongst us, right? Euthanasia, so-called um, medically assisted dying is on the rise sadly in this nation. I would uh, suggest, well not only suggest, it's true that it's, be, it's because our culture has bought into this utilitarian understanding of man, right? It's attaching your value or worth, your dignity even, uh, to your perceived usefulness. It's very dangerous. So how do, we ret- how, how, do we, how do we live as Christians then in light of this? Again, it's faithfulness that matters. Faithfulness that matters. And the answer to that question actually, if I was to back up, is just recognizing this is something that the world, these are categories the world doesn't even have. We recognize that humanity is created in the image of God, right? Your value, your worth comes from that regardless of your perceived usefulness in society. All right, so if you're retired, consider how you can continue to work to glorify God and serve others at the different stages of retirement that lie ahead. If you know a retired person, engage them for their wisdom and experience. There's a, there's a potential gold mine there you should be tapping into. Include them in your families or as mentors. If you're looking forward to retirement someday, don't look at it as Jefferson did, as an opportunity to sort of fade off into the sunset, as it were, but within your means to demonstrate faithfulness to that calling. All right, we're going to move on to the last uh, so-called exceptional calling. That is a calling to unemployment. Now, perhaps, based on these three callings, this is maybe the one that you'd say, well, is that really a calling? I mean, maybe being a student, maybe being retired, I could see that. How, how does this work with unemployment? Well, for many of us, at some point, probably most of us, we will experience unemployment or underemployment at some point in our lives. So what does it look like then to work for Jesus? Again, King Jesus is King Jesus, even when you're unemployed. How does this work during those times? Not having paid employment will very often leave a hole in a person's life. And for just about all of us, it's a hole that has to be filled. There's, there's going to be two ways to fill that hole in this circumstance. 
we can languish in it, lamenting in it, and lose our sense of self-worth or value because we're unemployed. Or we can take the season for what it is, a time to find new work, also a season in which we probably have more time and energy than we did while we were working for a living. So keeping the principles of this class in mind will also protect us from seeking too much in a job. Again, it's just a job, right? It's just a job. So we'll be able to recognize that because, um, again, our, our, our worth, our dignity, our value is found in who the Lord says we are, right? So that in turn can uh, help protect us from being too picky about what we're looking for and from despondence when the wait seems endless. So how exactly can a calling to unemployment show off God's goodness in our lives then? How can we even do this to the glory of God? Well, you've got your points there. First of all, work hard to find a job. Work hard to find a job. So during a time of unemployment, it's good to treat your job search as a job. Treat your job search as a job. So what are you doing then? You're, you're seeking to maintain a schedule, right? You're seeking to maintain a schedule. You're seeking to maintain working hours, as it were, perhaps. You've got accountability. You've got, you've got uh, brothers or sisters in your life who are seeking to keep you accountable during that time to be looking for a job. So work hard to find a job, first point. Second point, use the time well. Use the time well. Of course, most likely it's impossible to use all your time to find a job if you find yourself in this circumstance. So just as in retirement, unemployment provides a season of special opportunity to serve others. Again, Titus 3.1 says this, be ready for every good work. Be ready for every good work. Well, in retirement, believe it or not, you're actually going to have arguably more opportunity to be ready for every good work in some ways. So, for example, use that extra flexibility, that extra time to do good that you probably wouldn't be able to do during times of employment. Read those books on your dusty to-read pile. If you're a reader, you have a to-read pile and it's probably not being um, chipped away at very much, perhaps. (laughs) If you're working full-time, right? Take that time. Don't feel guilty. Take that time to enjoy reading good books that are going to be good for your soul. Think about scheduling, uh, scheduling in that lunch with a younger brother or sister who needs mentoring, who needs discipleship. Go uh, rake the lawn for your elderly neighbor or shovel their snow. We've got snow nine months a year around here. There's lots of opportunity to shovel snow for your neighbor. <laughs> if you're a husband, take... Uh, Take on what your wife normally does around the house. Can you, can you, if you're a man, can you humble yourself <laughs> to be, being able to do some of the domestic duties? Right? Because what you're going to do for that season 
is, is you're, you're going to be able to relieve your wife for a time, and then you can both actually enjoy, believe it or not, that time of un- unemployment, perhaps. So make your season of unemployment a time of spiritual growth and blessing for others. Let's use the time well. Third, provide opportunities for others to do good. One of the humbling things about a time of unemployment that it makes us lean hard on others. And I actually wanted to mention this. Is I think this, this principle very much applies to retirement too. If you are uh, in ill health, one of our challenges, even as Christians, is we, we always want to maintain self-sufficiency. We don't like having to rely on others, I would argue. But actually being unemployed, it's actually going to be, it's actually going to provide opportunities for, for the church, for brothers and sisters, to be a blessing to you. And you, you, at that point, you have to humble yourself and receive any blessing. I'm just talking about financial blessing, although perhaps that it could be that. But any type of help that is offered, it can be a humbling thing, and it can even expose prideful self-sufficiency. So we need to recognize then that it's good for others to love us in this way when we're going through these seasons, because in doing so, they can participate in God's care for us. It's one of the beautiful things about the church, right? We're rallying around each other for each other's good. Uh, last, trust God, and we're starting to wrap up here. Um, perhaps the most significant way in which we can be unemployed to the glory of God is simply by trusting him, right? It's in those, it's in those more challenging seasons that your faith in God, we could say, is, is perhaps um, more obviously shown, Right? And trust is, of course, hard. If you get, you know, you're getting over the shock of job loss, you're, you're gung-ho to go, you know, your job now is to go find a job, and then the weeks and months sort of roll on, and you still don't have that job, right? Well, this is where your trust in the Lord very much kicks in. I mean, we need to be trusting the Lord all the time. But this, at this point, faith can be very, very hard and very, very messy. You need to be real about that. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith by nature is un- uncomfortable. It hurts. We desperately want to get back to a living by sight instead of by faith. But it is by our faith that... Um, we are demonstrating that God is sufficient in any season of life. All right, I'm going to wrap up here because I'm going too long. Uh, Just to conclude. So I hope that we can see then that these so-called exceptional callings, right, student, retirement, unemployed, they are in fact just normal callings. And God is sovereign over all of them. So beyond the requirements of our primary calling as Christians in every season or situation to which we are secondarily called, we are to work as unto the Lord for his glory and for the good of others. If we can do that through all the ups and downs of a lifetime, then I think we'll be very pleased to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share 
your master's happiness. Now, I wanted to give time for questions, but unfortunately, I went too long. If anyone has any questions, definitely feel free to come up. I'll be up here at the front for a bit, but I'm going to pray, and we'll be done. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, even as we consider these so-called exceptional callings, that is, of a student, of being retired, of even being unemployed, Father, we recognize that even these um, seasons of life are callings under your sovereign hand. Father, we recognize not only that you are sovereign, but that you providentially are working all things for our good and your glory. So, Father, I pray that you'd help each one here, all of us, to recognize that, whatever season we're in, uh, to work hardly as unto you, to seek to use our time, our skills, our abilities, our resources, our intellect, um, to show you off and uh, to bless others. And in all this, Father, help us just to remember that we are secure in Christ, that our performance and our callings does not um, win favor with you. We are already secure in him. And, uh, please just prepare our hearts and our minds now for the main service. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.